Father, thank you because we acknowledge, as Brother James told us too, that every good and perfect gift comes down from our Heavenly Father. And Father, we praise you for that. We love you. You take such wonderful care of your children. God, we can't imagine going through this life without the the loving care of our Father. And Lord, thank you for that so much. Thank you that you have provided for us materially. God, you've sustained us emotionally and psychologically and spiritually through all of this turmoil that we've experienced. And Lord, we know we're not exactly out of the woods on turmoil. Between now and the election and the first of the year, there's more more turmoil to come. The school starts and we try to figure out, you know, all of this. Uh, Lord, Lord, we're going to have some still some decisions to make and, and some stress to deal with. But Lord, you've taught us to be anxious for nothing because you have us completely in your hands. And God, we thank you for that, Lord. Let us remember to lean on you for the days ahead as well. And we know that you'll be the sustainer. You'll care for us. You'll be that rod and that staff that we can lean upon to protect us, to comfort us. God, we just praise you for this. Bless your people as they are so faithful to give to your mission to sustain and further your kingdom. God, bless the wonderful people of Cornerstone, Lord. And we rejoice that you're going to give us an opportunity to come back together. And Lord, I pray that you'd bless us as we celebrate. Lord, as David opens the word of God today to bring us the message about the kingdom stories, Lord, I pray that you would guide his speech, Lord, that he'd give us just what we need to hear today. Bless us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Hey, we are about to finish up our short story series. We're going to have Pastor David come up and uh, and give us a really great message. Uh, you guys enjoy. Hey, good morning, guys. Um, man, we've been in these short stories, the parables of Jesus now for several weeks. I think this is maybe part nine or part 10. And I, I wonder if you've thought about that. I wonder if you've thought about why we've been in these stories for so many weeks, why we've been focusing on this particular aspect of Jesus's ministry for so long. Well, I would say that the reason that we've done this is because these stories were Jesus's primary way to present and explain the kingdom of God. We've said it every week so far that what Jesus is trying to accomplish within these short stories is to to convey a really difficult truth uh, or an idea that's hard for us to understand um, about what the kingdom of God is like. Or it's to tell us about who God is in a new way for us to think about him differently, for us to change our own thinking about how we should operate and live in the world and how we should be changed to act differently because the kingdom is a present thing. Now, you have to remember Kind of what sparked this conversation, this these series of lessons that we've been doing, the story of the Bible that we talked about, oh gosh, it feels like a decade ago. Uh, how long has COVID been going on? What is this? You said week 24? Yeah, so uh, a decade ago when we started this, um, we were talking about the, the, the story of the Bible, what it's really all about. And while it, it is about us um, uh, receiving Christ and, and Christ coming on our behalf as a substitutionary atonement on our behalf on the cross to forgive us of our sins. That's absolutely a major theme in the Bible, a major aspect of the Bible, but it's not the whole story. The whole story is that God is bringing about a reunification of heaven and earth. Once again, what we used to see in the garden is going to be available again through what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. And now our mission 
is to carry that message forward and to live that out. We are to be image bearers. We said angled mirrors. I think that's probably the best metaphor where we reflect God's honor and glory to the world. And then we in turn reflect our praise and honor back to him. And so our mission as those image bearers has to be primary in our lives. It's what we're supposed to be doing as disciples. And how can we do that if we don't know what Jesus talked about? I mean, it's just a a logical, reasonable question to ask. I I find myself, as we've been doing these short stories, as I've been reading through some of these again, and as I've been listening to pastor, I've been thinking, which Bible is this in? (laughs) Because I keep thinking to myself, wait a minute. Now, I went to Sunday school all my life. I grew up in church. I'm supposed to know all the answers, right? Uh, I'm supposed to know everything that there is to know about the Bible. I thought I knew all these stories, and maybe I've heard them before, but I had not internalized them or knew their point or had them on the loop in my mind over and over again, replaying them to the extent that I knew what Jesus was actually talking about. And I think that what I've realized is that I know a lot of what Jesus did, like healing people, sicknesses, or... Um, you know, I know I know a couple really important teachings like love your neighbor as yourself or John 316 or one of my favorite stories when Jesus casts out the demons into the pigs and they run off the side of the hill. Like those are the things that I know about, obviously, the cross um, and his resurrection. But I, I find myself as I'm listening to these short stories, as I'm reading back through them going, what 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 is all this stuff? And I'm, I'm realizing that I have kind of a truncated view of what Jesus actually talked about. See, I know a lot of what he did but I don't know necessarily a lot of what he taught. And, and I, I don't know, that struck me as, as we began to talk about why we should continue this series on past the several weeks that we were kind of planning to do it. And, and, and the reality is that if I'm going to be a, a faithful follower of Jesus, if I'm going to be a faithful disciple of Jesus, then I have to know, yes, what he did, what he modeled. I need to be a disciple maker just like he was, but I also have to know what he taught. And what he taught over and over and over and over and over again is that the kingdom of God is here. This is what the kingdom of God is like. And because of that, this is now how you should live. You should be reflecting the characteristics and the values that Jesus presents to us in the things that he's talking about. So learning these short stories, learning these parables are incredibly important for our spiritual development. I think what we do is because they're a little confusing and we don't understand how they fit into our modern context, we read them and go, oh, great story. And then we get to what Jesus like did, like where he healed somebody or whatever. And we're like, oh, we really can apply that to our life. We love that story because we can understand what that's all about. But because we miss sometimes the meaning of these stories, we miss, I don't know, some of the meat of what Jesus was trying to convey to us, that his ruling reign is here right now, that his lordship is in effect And if that we are to grow to become the disciples that we're supposed to be, we should know these things. Okay, so, and it should be said, this doesn't happen in our own strength. This doesn't happen in our own um, power or ability. It's not as though I make the kingdom of God happen. It's all fueled in power by God's spirit within me. And growth is not a result of my, um, I'm so smart. Here's my strategy. Here's my process to growth. Now, those things are good. Those those show some planning and some forethought and some intentionality. But it doesn't happen as a result of those things. It happens as a result of my submission to the Spirit, partnering with God as he grows me to accomplish the expansion of them all throughout the world. Now, 
it begs the question, and this was kind of the question that Jesus gets asked in kind of subtle ways, or it's an implied question in a lot of what Jesus teaches. What is this kingdom of God all about? Where is it? You're talking about it, but I don't see it. I don't see it in the, in the way that I expected to see it because the Jews were looking for something very specific. They were looking for a Messiah to come to defeat the Roman rulers and to set up the uh, Israelite nation as kind of a, a preeminent power in the world where everyone would come to uh, praise the king, this new Messiah that had set up them as a political power. I mean, that's how every other kingdom so far had come to power is they would defeat their enemies and then they would declare, now we're in charge. And then whoever was, you know, in charge or before, they would receive all the people that they were in charge of. But that's not how Jesus came, and that's not the type of kingdom that he set up. So people were thinking or asking or wondering, is Jesus' kingdom a legitimate one? You're talking about this kingdom, but I don't see any swords. You're talking about this kingdom, but I don't see any military might. You've got 12 guys who are not as educated as some of the people that you could have chosen, um, who, who don't have it all together, like some other people that we think have it all together. Is this a legitimate question? And I think that we might also, even in our day, begin to ask that same question. We might look around and wonder, is God's kingdom a legitimate kingdom? Because all I see around me may not fit into what I think it's supposed to be. And Jesus answers um this question in, in two really interesting parables. And so I want to look at these today. Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 29, as he begins to address that his kingdom is a reality right here and right now. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Okay, again, what, what does that mean? What, what, we, what is he even talking about? We should not make the mistake of putting emphasis on trivial elements of the story that are, that are not stressed by Jesus. It will cause us to read into the story a meaning that Jesus never intended to say uh, in the first place at all. Okay, just as an example, if I focus on certain elements like the farmer, if I focus on the farmer, then I might walk away with the story, reading it like this. It's a story of encouragement where I'm supposed to spread the seeds of the gospel all throughout the earth. Okay, that's not a bad message. I think Jesus tells us to do that in the Great Commission. We're supposed to go out and share the gospel and make disciples. Absolutely. But is that what Jesus is trying to say in this particular short story? Okay, what if we look at maybe the harvest? What if we focus on that element of the story? Then we might read into the story that God has sent out the gospel seeds, the message to all the earth. And when it has come to its full ripeness, then God will come back at the rapture. He will uh, harvest all of his people away to heaven. Okay, again, maybe, maybe a legitimate idea in, in the text, but is that what Jesus is trying to say in this specific story? See, the problem is that Jesus doesn't identify any specific element, the seed, the man, whether he goes to sleep or wakes up, whether or not there's a kernel in the head or how it grows or whatever. Jesus doesn't define any of these little specific details of the story as 
having certain meaning or certain metaphor or certain symbolism. I think they're just elements of the story that Jesus is adding to, to create texture and flair. You can't tell a story without some adjectives. And this is what he's trying to do. He's trying to show us what the story is, is fully like. So we're not supposed to read into something Jesus didn't actually talk about. Um, the theological way of saying it would be to allegorize. And, and we're not supposed to allegorize. We're not supposed to make allegories out of what Jesus is saying in this story. So what is he actually trying to say? Well, the kingdom of God is not like one of these elements, one of these little things. Instead, it's like the whole process of the story. While humans may play a role in that process, humans are not the catalyst. The process of growth, just like a seed when you throw it into the ground, is inevitable because seeds are destined to grow and produce fruit for harvest. So the kingdom of God, therefore, its process will be like a seed's process. The growth process has commenced at planting and will be completed when its fruit has come to maturity. The kingdom had its beginning with Jesus's teaching and with his activity and is directly tied to what he is doing in the first century. But the kingdom will not reach its full maturity tomorrow the same way that when you throw a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a tree the next day. It, it, that's exactly the point that Jesus is trying to make. What, what Jesus' hearers were, were, were seeing was not the full glory of the kingdom, but it didn't mean that the kingdom wasn't now in effect the same way that you may not see a seed in the ground. It's still growing. It's still there. It's still happening. The process is still moving forward. And that planted seed will, cre will grow into something that it's always intended to be. And that's exactly the point that Jesus is trying to make. So what's the application of something like this for us? Because that's a great idea. But what do I do with that? Well, while, while I go about my daily routine, the kingdom is present and at work. While humans are a part of the kingdom, we are servants of it, not its cause. If you notice from the story that whether the man sleeps or gets up, the process is still moving forward. And I think there's an important idea here because there are other uh, people who talk about the kingdom of God as if we can bring it about and make it fully realized in the world. That's false teaching. We do not make it fully available. It only completely happen when Jesus returns at his second coming. But it doesn't mean it's not inaugurated and started right now in what Jesus has done. And so we should be patient waiting on God's timing, but in our patience, we should be confident knowing that it's all in God's hands. He's taking care of all of it. And that whether we go to sleep or wake up, the process is moving forward just like a seed would be growing. Again, if I look at the individual elements, I might walk away from the story with a completely different understanding than what Jesus is trying to get his original hearers to understand. And it's vitally important for me to know that the kingdom is available right now, that it is present and that it is moving forward and that despite what I do and in partnership with what I do, the kingdom will move forward. And that should give me confidence knowing that God is taking care of all of the details and he wants to work and partner with me through all of it. Okay, so let's look at another story that's really similar to this one. And I want you to Think in your mind. You can talk about it in your watch group if you want, or you can comment if you like. Um, but what is the meaning of this next short story? Let me read it 
And let me see if you can come up with uh, maybe what you think it's all about. Mark chapter 4, verses 30 and 32 through 33. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. Hmm. I wonder what that means. Now, while you're thinking about that, maybe while you're discussing it, maybe while you're commenting in, as I was reading this in preparation for today, I found myself really hesitant. I found myself not wanting to offer my own interpretation because I was nervous that my pride might take a hit at getting the wrong answer. I was really nervous to actually interpret what Jesus said. I was, I was content just to read it and go, mm, amen, but not actually think about it because I didn't want to be wrong about what it meant. And then I like this realization hit me. That's what the disciples felt all the time. The disciples around Jesus, whenever they heard him talk about this stuff, they're like, what is this guy talking about? We have no clue what's going on. Listen, even if, if the disciples even were, were like clueless, then we can have some confidence. We can have, don't feel so overwhelmed by the process of trying to understand what Jesus is trying to say. What I also realized though in that was I don't have Jesus's words um, rolling in my mind all the time. I'm not trying to think about the meaning of what he said in these really small bite-sized stories all the time. Now, I have um, I have better endings to Star Wars Episode 7, 8, and 9 in my mind all the time. I, I, I mean, I, I think about that far too often. I, 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 and I'll argue with people um, about how it should have gone, and it should have been like this book, or this book, or that book, and Disney should have done it this way and not that way, and and... Movie eight was way too weird and slow and long, and movie nine was way too fast, and and it was fine. Seven, it shouldn't even been there. Like I I think about that a lot, and I could like discuss that with you at detail. I've watched so many Disney princess movies now. I have like a rolling catalog in my head of Disney songs, and I could parcel out and tell you which princess is the best and which thing happens this way or that way. And I thought to myself, man, I can do that with like pop culture and things in my life, but I, I realize I'm not dissecting Jesus's words over and over again. I read it one time and go, mm, and then I highlight maybe a couple verses and I don't let that get down into my heart and into my mind to be looped over and over and over again and think and ponder and meditate on what did that mean? How does that apply to me? What is that all about? But see, I imagine that's exactly what Jesus's first hearers would have been doing. They didn't, they didn't have um, Twitter and Facebook and TV and, you know, instant access to all these things. And so I imagine what they did is they sat around and they talked about what Jesus said. And, and, they, and they, they threw out ideas. Well, maybe he meant this or maybe he was talking about that. Or, or did you hear that one time the Pharisees were in a room and he said that thing and they all like started, you know, getting mad at him. Like they wanted to throw him off the cliff. I, Jesus is kind of, he's kind of bold, you know, like they I imagine that's how they talked about what Jesus said, because they had it over and over again in their minds and in their speech. And I think that's a part of the point is that when I read God's word, it's not just a solo activity. Now, certainly I'm supposed to read it by myself and, and try to understand it. Absolutely. There's, there's growth to be had there, but that's not the only time I should be reading God's word. We should be reading it together. I think there's a really important element 
um, to meditation that happens when we discuss God's word and read it together. Let it run on the loops of our minds, wrestling with the meaning back and forth, because that's going to build our spiritual muscles. I mean, that's another part of the process of growth where, where, where we try to talk about, think about, and bounce off ideas with our community. So I, I guess there's an encouragement within that. There's an exhortation, which we should be thinking about God's word more, of course. But there's also an encouragement in that. You don't need to be overwhelmed when you approach God's word. We're not going to understand it all the first time. I mean, that would be impossible. There's too much content from Genesis all the way to Revelation. There's too much there to understand it on one reading. It's why we're not supposed to read God's word one time. We're supposed to read it over and over and over again for an entire lifetime. We're not done on one reading. We don't finish one Bible plan and go, I don't have to read Colossians again because I read it five years ago. No, we should read that book again because there will be new things that will jump out at us and there will be new things that, that the Holy Spirit prompts in our hearts to change and become more alike. And that's, that's it. We've got to be in our communities bouncing back and forth these ideas. But the most important element that we have when we come to interpreting scripture is we have the Holy Spirit. He will guide us towards truth. The more that we're submitted to him, the more that we're honestly trying to seek what the word says and how it applies to our lives. And the more that we're trying to live that out, the more that the Holy Spirit will reveal to us the truth of God's word. Jesus says it, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in to all the truth. The more that we're asking, the more that we're seeking that spiritual maturity, the more that we're doing um, our Bible reading and times with community, and the more that we're thinking about God's word, the more that the Holy Spirit will reveal to us what Jesus is talking about. And of course, there are wonderful resources that your pastors would love to give you and would love to tell you about. This is why the local church is so important, because we want to watch guard. We want to give you, how about this? We want to give you guardrails to understand what are good resources and what are not so great resources. We want to tell you which websites to look at and which ones to avoid altogether. We want to, we want to tell you which voices you should be listening to um, that line up with what we believe in our body because we don't want you to go off the, the, the end one way or the other. We want you to be right in the spot where you're following Jesus's voice, listening to the Holy Spirit as you are guided towards this process of growth. Okay, now we've come to maybe the, the point of this parable. Maybe you've thought about what it means. Um, now maybe you've discussed it. Maybe you've thrown a comment in there. This is the point of this parable. Like the tiny mustard seed, which grows into a large plant, so the kingdom is at present. I mean, think about what Jesus did. He didn't go and do a big Billy Graham crusade type thing where he, you know, went and did like a big worship service and announced that the kingdom of God was here um, to, to thousands. And then he said, okay, now all of you guys follow me. He went to 12 guys and a couple ladies and he said, follow me. That's a small little group. You know, think about how tiny that world changing movement began. A small group of people, and just like that small mustard seed, this small group would begin to grow. The kingdom began small, even hidden, or unnoticed, or ignored, largely ignored. But its full revelation, with all its benefits, will come as it grows and as it expands. So why are these parables important? Because, I mean, that's a great truth to understand, right? 
But how does that impact my heart? How does that change my life? Well, one of the important aspects we should note in this story, what's embedded within the idea of this story, is that Jesus is answering these obvious, uh, in, in, uh, maybe uh, maybe not outward questions, but these, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the word, these uh, implicit questions. Is the kingdom real? Is it legitimate? Is it here? I don't see it the way that I ex- assumed or expected it would be. Jesus is here confirming to us, even though, It's small like a seed. It will grow into something huge. It will be something amazing. It will be what it has always been destined to be because I am moving it forward. How does that change what I live like? How does that live? How does that change how I think about God? How does that change how I act and live in this moment now? Well, what Jesus is asserting to us is not that uh, the kingdom Uh, is something that we wait for and just fold our hands and say, God, bring it. Amen. And go about our day as if nothing like nothing else should be different about us. It's not as though I should expect somebody else to do something for me or, uh, or I should pray, God, my coworker doesn't know Christ. Would you please send somebody to tell them about Jesus? It, It should change the way I live. The fact that the kingdom is present in right now. And not only is it present right now, what Jesus is trying to express is that just like a seed, a seed is a tree, isn't it? I mean, it's not. It's not a tree yet, but it is a tree. It has all the same material. It's all the same thing. The only difference is it's got to shed its shell and grow up. There's nothing different about the seed and the tree. They're the same material. And what Jesus is telling his followers, both then and now, is that what he was doing then applies to later. The How about, how about we say it this way? The end was in the beginning. All that was necessary for the growth of the tree was right there at the very beginning. And so we don't grow away from the gospel. We don't grow away from Jesus's teaching as we get to Paul and we're like, okay, now we're into the real stuff of the New Testament. Now we're reading the really, you know, important stuff. And now we should parse these Greek verbs and blah, 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 blah. No, we should never grow away from the gospel. We should never grow away from what Jesus taught us. This is why these parables are so important for us. And just like the Jews of the day, they didn't need to know that a kingdom was coming. They were looking for that. They were looking for a Messiah to bring it about. That was the the long and hoped for promise uh, all throughout the Old Testament that the prophets gave them and that God had communicated with them through the covenants. This was always what they were hoping for. They didn't need to know that it was coming. What they needed to know was how it was coming. What they needed to know was who it was coming through. And Jesus is here telling them that this longed for kingdom has already begun. It's already started. It will certainly grow and come to ultimate fulfillment. And this message ought to produce hope, confidence, and encouragement that what we are doing right now matters. That what people have done before us, whether they've been completely accurate or right in their Bible interpretation or whatever, it mattered. What we'll do in the future and what our children will do in the future is vitally important to the growth of the kingdom. And it also brings up another question or another challenge to make sure that we are identified 
with this kingdom rather than in opposition to it. Because it's real. It's, it's right now. It's not some future thing that's going to happen when Jesus returns. No, it's happening right now. So are we aligned with it right now? Or are we just expecting it to happen later on and we don't have to do anything right now? See, this is the whole point. We have to be a part of the process of growth as we submit to the Holy Spirit, as we submit to the Lord. And, and listen, when you submit to the Lord, you can't say no. I mean, pastor said that so many times, and, and I love that phrase. You can't submit and then say no. You have to be ready to say yes. And what it looks like to say yes is to know what Jesus taught in the first place. Um, I came across this phrase as I was reading in preparation for this week. Mustard seed thinking. I like this phrase. Mustard seed thinking. I think that's what Jesus is trying to push us towards. I think that we need to begin to apply mustard seed thinking into our daily lives. Again, the mustard seed is the tiniest little seed. Yet contained within this tiny little seed is significant. And so we need to begin to change the way that we view um, smallness and significance. Just because something is small doesn't mean it's not important. No one should be put off by what at first might appear unimpressive because God's kingdom certainly looked unimpressive at first. It's this traveling preacher who's saying, repent, kingdom of God is near. The person that was uh, getting us ready wore camel skins and, you know, looked kind of crazy and ate bugs out in the wilderness. I mean, this is not the movement necessarily you want to get behind if you're looking for power. And that's the whole point. What at first seemed unimpressive actually was the most impressive and most important thing. God's kingdom is a certainty. He himself is growing it. Now, we say all that, and that's absolutely true, but listen, God wants to partner with you in it. From Genesis 1 to Revelation, God is using people. He's partnering with you and I. He wants us to be the, the ones who carry forward the kingdom. Sure, sure, he could snap his finger and things would just happen. But then why create it all? There would be no purpose or no point. He wants to partner with free agents, you and I, to go about in submission to him, partnership to him, as we change the world and expand the kingdom with him. And so to do that, we have to have mustard seed thinking. Uh, we have to do small things in our lives which will produce spiritual harvests later on. Small things like reading your Bible every day. Ugh, we hear this every Sunday. But it's the truth. How do you want to grow? How do you want to become a better disciple and follower of Christ? By reading your Bible every day. By understanding the story. By, by studying that word and trying to understand what the truth is. By rolling it over in your mind over and over again. That's meditation. And in doing that, the Holy Spirit will, will clue you in to what Jesus is trying to say and what the rest of the Bible is trying to say. Small things like prayer. Small things like becoming a friend to your coworker or your neighbor. Small things like setting up a, a healthy home where you have, I don't know, Monday dinners is what my house looks like, where you get to talk to your kids and you put your devices down for a minute and you have dinner around the table. And it's a small thing. It's really, it doesn't sound super significant, but it really is. It produces a spiritual harvest later on. It produces something worthwhile and something that matters much later on. Maybe not right in this moment because it's small and unimpressive right now. 
but later on it will do something that will grow us into maturity and further partnership with God. All of these little mustard seed moments that we're supposed to be doing, they will mature into something significant. So here's the question, here's a challenge. Are you exercising your faith in the small things of your life? That's a tough question. Because uh, I think a lot of us, because especially because we live in an instant gratification society, we just assume, well, I read one book, and so now I'm ready to do the whole thing. I've got it all figured out. I can, I can make it all happen now. I'm the chief agent. I've got it all taken care of. No. <laughs> no. And how many times have we failed because we've applied that attitude? Everything in life is a process of maturation. And understanding that the kingdom works that way, understanding that you and I fit into the kingdom in that way, is vitally important to us. This is certainly what Jesus wants each one of us to do. Be mustard seeds. Live like mustard seeds. Think like a mustard seed. We're small now. This thing is small now. This thing is not doesn't seem important now. Even though I really don't want to do this right now. If I do it, I'm exercising my spiritual muscles and I'm going to begin to grow because God will produce that growth within me. I mean, that's those are pretty simple applications and pretty simple thoughts to the parable. Isn't it supposed to be more complicated? I thought the Bible was really complicated. Well, in some ways it is. And in other ways, it's really not. Jesus very simply taught and very simply told us some things and he wanted us to walk away from his teachings and going, hmm, the kingdom of God is growing. I should be a part of that. That's what he wants us to do. That's what he wants us to think. He doesn't want us to overcomplicate this spiritual life. He wants us simply to walk in faithfulness with him, beside him, partnered along with him. So again, it begs the question, are you a part of this kingdom or not? Jesus made himself available to us through his life on earth. He taught us the way to live. He taught us the way to think. He taught us about the kingdom of God and that it's effective, it's present, it's right now, it's moving forward. And then he went to the cross on our behalf. And he died on the cross to forgive us of our sins so that we can have a relationship with him once and for all. There's no more that we have to do than just acknowledge that he is Lord, confess our sins, and begin to live for him every single day. I wonder if you've done that. I wonder if you've taken a moment to place your faith and trust in Jesus as Lord of your life. The Bible makes it very simple. All we have to do is believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and we will be saved. Here in a moment, I'm going to pray and you can follow along with me. You don't have to say my exact words. I'm not saving you with my words. What saves you is an honest heart and an honest faith in Jesus. And, and he acknowledges that and he honors that and he forgives your sins. And then he sends the Holy Spirit into your heart to change you and make you a new person just like him. And so here in a moment, I'll pray and you can just follow along with the words. If you've made a decision like this to accept Jesus as Lord of your life, would you please let us know? We would love to send you a Bible. We'd love to um, be in contact with you and walk with you and start a discipleship journey with you, just like Jesus did with his disciples. We don't want you just, just to have this really wonderful moment and then go, okay, what's next? We actually want to walk alongside of you and partner with you to help you grow to become more like Jesus every single day. Would you send a text to us? 
I think the number will come up on the screen. I don't know what it is. Um, 817-809-3040. And please send that to us and let us know. That way we can communicate with you. Let's bow our heads and pray. And if you would like to make that decision, please let us know. Father, I thank you for today. Jesus, I thank you for your message. Thank you that you love me, that you care for me, that you want to know me personally. I recognize and acknowledge that I've not done everything right in life. And and especially as I read your word, I, I realize I've not lived up to your holy, perfect standards. That's called sin. Father, I confess my sins. But I believe that you went to the cross and died for me. And I believe that you can forgive me. And I accept that forgiveness. I declare that you are Lord. And I want to make you Lord of my life. I want to say yes to to you and to your commands and to your leading. I want to partner with you as you change me to become more like you. I want want my heart and my life to change and to grow um, to become more like what you showed us through your word. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for changing my heart and my life. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed something like that, again, please, please, please let us know. We would love to celebrate with you. I think the um, kids' programs are about to post up here in a moment, and we cannot wait for September 6th, guys. We love y'all, and we'll catch you next week.